0: Lord Jesus Christ, you are the astonishing one. We are in awe of you. I pray, Jesus, that you would open up your word to us this morning. May you speak to us. May our hearts receive from you today. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, So children who are here in person or joining us from home at the live stream, uh, my encouragement to you today, my drawing prompt for you today is to draw a big, massive uh, thunderstorm a big, huge storm with, with maybe there's a tornado that's spiraling out of it. Maybe there's a, um, just rain sheeting down. Maybe there's lightning everywhere. I'd love to see a huge storm from you. Uh, and then parents, uh, if, if you deem your children worthy, their storms worthy, send them a picture of it. We would love to see that. We'd love to post it um, on our website. So I grew up in Kansas. Uh, some of you might know that. I grew up in Olathe, Kansas. Does, does anyone know where Olathe is? I see a few hands out there. Great, yeah. I know you have, Dave. You've been, you've been there. Great. So uh, it's really easy to pick on Kansas because it is easily one of the flattest places on the planet. Um, I think scientists say that it's technically flatter than a pancake. Um, not the most flattering thing to know about um, Kansas. It's not known for its like mystical, enchanting topography, but it's pre- it's precisely because of its flatness. That it's that it has some of the most impressive, massive, terrifying storm systems also on the planet. These storm systems will begin elsewhere across the Midwest, and as they start to slowly move, they, they pick up um, just additional humidity and mass, and they get huge. So I remember many times, like driving home from school or whatever, and, and looking across the sky and seeing thunderclouds that are larger than mountains. And you just think about the millions and millions of gallons of water that are just gently floating up above you. They're just monstrous in size. But it's really easy for these storm systems to become unstable. And then the sky becomes this spooky green color. Maybe there's oranges that are in the sky, colors that you normally don't see in the sky. And then something happens, the storm breaks, and all that water just comes shooting, falling down from the sky. So growing up, tornado sirens uh, were quite a common experience. So if you're driving and you hear a, a tornado siren going off, what are you supposed to do? We're supposed to find a bridge, which... As we've established in Kansas, it's not terribly hilly, so finding bridges might be a little difficult to do. But you're supposed to find a bridge and go tuck your car or get out if it's super dangerous and go hide in that little cleft uh, of the bridge in the hill. And if you're home, you're supposed to grab a, a box of candles, grab your, your old weather radio, go downstairs, and wait for it all to pass. Unless you're my dad. He was very crazy. <laughs> so, much to the terror of my mother, my dad. Whenever he heard the sirens go off, he wouldn't even necessarily make sure that we were all downstairs. He would just immediately go outside, go to the top of our driveway, and just stare and watch the whole thing happen. It didn't matter if the rain had already started. He loved watching those clouds. He loved watching the bizarre colors shifting around. He loved watching the violent lightning and the sheets of rain come crashing down. He had no fear of actually being struck by lightning himself. And my siblings and I, we never quite understood this, but the way my mom retaliated against my dad was to lock him outside. I felt like that was a little counterproductive, but that's, that's my mom for you. So there's this, this attractive magnetism to these Kansas thunderstorms. Not only their, their beauty, but their, their absolute power and their unpredictability was just so Amazing. Now, sure, if, if you're a meteorologist, you probably have the language to, to scale these things and to um, label them accordingly and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But if you're a layman like myself or my father, there's no categories for these things because the storms are absolutely unpredictable. They're completely outside of the realm of normal. They are truly astonishing, Well, today we're going to be looking again at the first couple paragraphs of of Mark. Uh, Today we have the readings, uh, Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. And here we see that Jesus is described as some of the same words that I've been using to describe this thunderstorm, amazing, astonishing, one who has authority, which a thunderstorm does kind of have authority with it. You hear those sirens go and the authority is telling you, go downstairs and hide. And look at the questions that are all throughout this passage. People are asking things like, why are you here? What are you doing? What on earth are you talking about, Jesus? Now, imagine if you're a Jew living in the first century Capernaum. Your family has perhaps lived in this town for you know three, four, five generations. You've, you've stuck to the same job. You, you know all the other people who are in this small village. You've been living here in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden, something amazing comes. This man comes. He shows up, and he's saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is here now. The kingdom of God is here. And he's calling these people, these fishermen, people who you know, you know their families, he's calling them, and they're just coming. They're literally leaving everything to follow this man, to fix their gaze upon this man. And then when he speaks, crazy things happen. Demons flee and run from him demons who've probably been bothering your people again for a very long time. It's like the sky is shifting colors there in Capernaum. It's like the sirens are blaring. And so you as a first century Jew, you wouldn't know if you're supposed to flee for your life from this man or if you're supposed to to stick around and and fix your gaze towards him and see like what's going to happen next. This is an exciting moment. So we're going to move through this passage in, in three sections. i uh, hopefully I'm making these sections clear. But there in, in the beginning, we see that in 22, we see that Jesus taught them as one who has authority. One who has authority, not as one of the scribes. So what is authority? What does that even mean? Well, in a general sense, authority is someone who has power. If you have authority, it means that your opinion isn't just warm, happy thoughts. You know? uh, like your opinion actually affects change to those who are around you. There's actual genuine substance to the words that you say. But also authority isn't just about having power, there's there's this authorship, this this creativity. You've been been delegated, um, yeah, like a creative interpretation of of, uh, a particular realm or something that you've been given. There's a creative role to play with someone who has authority. And some of you know that, you you might run your own business or a store or something like that, And so because you're the one who began that business, you're the authority one. You're you're the one who gets to decide uh, how rules are played out. Or like if you're a big fan of the Narnia series, you know, C.S. Lewis is always the authority about what happens in those books. So, you know, now he's not with us anymore. But if he was, if he had a real question about something or one of the characters, the plot lines in that book, you would go to the author, to that who has authority. Or if maybe you you work somewhere and and you're a manager somewhere, someone has given you authority, which gives you the ability to interpret the rules in your particular sphere. So I really want to emphasize that it's not just power, but there's like a creative element to it as well, to having authority. And notice the contrast that we see here in this passage. Jesus has authority, but not as one of the scribes. Now the scribes in Jesus' day were also teachers. Uh, These were Jewish leaders who they themselves had sat under rabbis and they would kind of float around and and, um, teach the law to the various villages and whatnot. So they taught in the synagogues. But their authority came somewhere else. Their authority came not from being a wise teacher themselves, but because they could quote the teachers. They knew the teachers' rules and laws and statements, and they would quote those things to, um, to to people in the synagogues. You know, they'd say things like, did you see Rabbi Gamel's statement about the new aqueduct system that Rome is installing next month? You know, they would talk about some of those things. But also the the scribes, because they're just reporting what others are saying, they're kind of this ancient echo chamber. You know, you're not getting the actual truth from them. You're just getting a, a report. You're getting the headlines. You're getting the sound bites from the scribes. And because of that, you're missing like the entire sort of context. You're you're missing the beautiful narrative of the passage or that which they're teaching. And you know this because if you were to ask them a deep question about something, you would hear from a scribe something like, ooh, I don't know, Let let me get back to you on that. And that's kind of a tell, right? Like that's a tell that they're not actually a true authority figure on something. But furthermore, probably one of the biggest reasons why scribes don't have authority is because they don't know you. They're moving around, you know, they're they're studying under a teacher, they're coming to your town, and they don't know you. They don't know your story. They don't know your family. They don't know the things that struggle, uh, that that your family struggles with. They don't know the names of your kids. They can't remember that. Uh, They don't know what your regrets are or your dreams are in life. The scribe doesn't have authority not only because of the knowledge that they do or don't hold. They don't have authority because they don't love you. So we live right now in a world full of scribes. Absolutely full of scribes. And we love to give, we love to ascribe authority to these people. People who are just bouncing headlines out there. People who are, are interpreting things um, in an in incomplete light. We live in a society where people are, they're, they're, they're twisting words. They're using things out of context. Why? To build up their own sort of fake, empty authority. We live in this, this world, uh, just an absolute echo chamber right now. I mean, I think Facebook is probably the best example of this, right? Like, Facebook is a scribe's fantasy land. You know, you find out this teaching somewhere else, you pull the part that you agree with, and then we somehow think that, like, we're a scribe ourselves sometimes, because we'll, we'll repost or we'll share these things on Facebook. You know, we'll take things out of context. We'll, you'll miss the entire... Um, as the Germans say, the Sitzenleben, of of an event that's happening, and you just throw it out there. And these things are just empty, right? That's why when you leave Facebook after spending a couple of hours of, like, death scrolling through it, you just have this emptiness to you. But the worst part about it is that these scribes, these experts, these, these pundits, these influencers, they don't know you They're they're putting wisdom out there, and sometimes it's good and stuff, but they don't know you. They don't know your story. They don't know how this is going to sit with you in your context, in your city, in your church congregation. And we love to give so much authority to these figures, don't we? When instead, like, the authority figure comes from someone who is both powerful but also loving. Someone who knows you. Someone who can actually peer into your heart and know your deepest desires, Someone who loves you. And this is Jesus. He is the only one who truly, tenderly knows you and has ultimate authority, ultimate power. He is the ultimate voice who we should be listening to. So secondly, we see in this scene that there is a presence of an unclean spirit. In 23, we read immediately in the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit And he cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of Israel. Now, isn't it interesting that God allows this offensive disturbance even within the safety of the church? Now this gathering here, it's probably no bigger than, than the gathering that we have here. I think we had like 60 people register for today. That's probably how big this is. So imagine like someone sitting here. Uh, I'll pick on Maren. Let's say Maren all of a sudden just wants to start screaming at me. I know who you are, the Holy one of Israel. Like that'd be incredibly disturbing for one. Uh, it would be incredibly disturbing. Um, I'd be disturbed as Maren's father if she started behaving that way. But it's, yeah, it's, it's a violent, disturbing sort of act. So a few weeks ago... Here at Restoration, during the church service, uh, one of our members, she accidentally left her purse out in the lobby. And sure enough, someone wandered in. Uh, it wasn't anyone who's a, a member of this congregation, thankfully. Uh, but someone stole her purse. And it happened here. And we, we have security footage of it. The parkway was, was happy to share that with us. And it's, it's pretty upsetting. Like, even as I share that with you, you're, you're probably taken aback and appalled by that. Like, seriously, someone would steal in a church, like, oh my goodness. You know, it's terrible that these things happened and we, we feel violated, we feel, we feel disturbed by this. Well, here they are in this story, they're in the synagogue on the Sabbath. This is a holy place, it's a holy time and, they are, and we're, we're supposed to read this and be disturbed by what we're reading. It's an upsetting scene that's happening here. A demon is in their midst and he's absolutely screaming his head off And the demon knows precisely who Jesus is and he's terrified of him because every evil spirit knows that there will be a day in which the son of man will come down from heaven and he will purge all evil from the entire created order. All of it will be cast down into the pit, never to be seen of, never to bother humanity ever again. And the demon is thinking here, is this the day? He sees the son of God and thinks, this is going to be it. And so out of fear, he's panicking. He's lashing out against Jesus. He's screaming. and He says, I know who you are. Did you come to destroy us? Well, Jesus, just in a simple, short phrase, he simply says, be silent and come out of him. That phrase, be silent, when it's translated in our our Bibles, it's actually translated quite mildly there. That's a phrase that, that could also be translated, shut up. And there Jesus is saying that to the demon. You know, it's also a phrase that you would use to, when, when a, you would want to muzzle an ox or something like that. Now, sometimes when people read this passage and, and other similar stories in Mark where we hear demons calling out Jesus by his true titles, sometimes we wonder to ourselves, why does Jesus silence the spirit? Like, you know, yeah, the, the spirit is evil here. But he's using a a really high title for who Jesus is. The Holy One of Israel, the Spirit says. So why would Jesus silence the Spirit? What's going on here? You know, that title, Holy One of Israel, this is a a messianic title. It's proclaiming who Jesus is, that he's the, the Son of David, that he's the chosen one of God, that he's worthy of all praise. You know, you and I, we're not the Holy One of Israel. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So why would Jesus want to silence a proclamation of truth? was one scholar said that I read, I I love this. He said, evil spirits are never to be trusted even if they're telling the truth. Never trust an evil spirit even if it's telling the truth. You see, when Jesus hears the words of truth coming out of the mouth of Satan, it's like nails on a chalkboard. He just can't stand it. You know, kind of reminded me of like when telemarketers call me and they're like, is this Rick Storrs? I'm like, yes, yes, this is you know that your extended warranty is running? I'm like, no, like it's terrible. Like get away from me, Satan, you're the evil one. You know, like the words, we do not like to hear words of truth or our names even when they're spoken by mouths of Satan. The name of Jesus ought never to be heard from creatures who stir up violence, rebellion, division, and death. And so Jesus in, in an instant says out, be silent and come out of him. And the, I know it's amazing. And the remarkable thing is that immediately the Spirit obeys. He convulses the man and scrams. He gets out of there. So, not only does Jesus' authority mean that he teaches with a new teaching, that he teaches with love and power, no, it also means that by his word, evil is cast out. The realities of this world are transformed by Jesus. He is the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And so when he speaks, the, the forces of evil have to flee. Darkness dispels from before him. So thirdly, how do the people react to all of this? Well, in verse 27, they they're all they're all amazed. And that word for all is emphatic. Every single human being in the room, man, woman, and child, everybody is amazed. They're all speechless. Everyone is astonished. And again, I just love the questions that they ask there. What is this? Who is this? Where does he come from? And we'll hear many, many more questions like that throughout the Gospel of Mark. You know, in this small group of people, they've just witnessed the clouds open up and a lightning bolt strike in the middle of the room. And like thunder, the fame of Jesus just reverberates out through all the regions of Galilee. And you see, they don't have a category for Jesus Even all the the generations and writings and, and years of the Old Testament didn't prepare them for this kind of power. They have a vague notion of who the Son of God is, but they're completely mystified here. As we've already established, he's not like the scribes. He's greater than any prophet. Who is this? Why is he here, they're asking. And all they know is that something new has occurred. As one scholar says, the disturbance of men by God has begun. So a question for you, when, when was a time that you were astonished by Jesus Christ? Some of you, you might have a list as long as your arm. Some of you might have one instance. Some of you, it might be a bit of a challenge to think of something. But what is that moment for you? What's a moment in which God just opened up the heavens and reached out and touched your heart there's a lot of astonishing things that are happening in the world these days i can think of maybe one or two uh we are in an we're in an age right now where we need as the people of god we need to be experts at telling our own stories to each other to our to our families of god's astonishing works so what does that look like for you so like I said, you, you, you might be sitting here and you, you might have a hard time thinking of something. You might be thinking, Rick, I, I don't really have an astonishing moment. But I, I do want to push back on that a little bit. Because our memories aren't always the best. And my guess is that you wouldn't be sitting here today if you didn't have at least one moment, either with Jesus himself or one of his followers, that was just absolutely transformative in your life. And like I said, maybe it's not a lightning bolt moment. Maybe it's something that came, that was revealed to you gradually over time. You know, God is extremely subtle and quiet for the majority of us. You know, for some of you, maybe you grew up in Christian homes. You went to church on a a consistent basis. You don't remember a time in which you weren't a Christian. But then all of a sudden, there was a moment in your life where you realized that the God of your parents is actually your God that you love him and that you understand and you see his love. And so you were astonished. Or maybe for some of you, maybe you did have this moment, this encounter with Jesus, where it hit you just like a massive thunderstorm. And after a lifetime of of pushing against him, of, of rebelling against God, of running away from him, somehow he stepped into your life. He stepped into your space. He stepped into your time. And the darkness that had been plaguing you was cast out. It left the room, and it astonished yourself, and it astonished the people around you. So again, I want to encourage you to tell those stories, especially these days. We need those stories. I need to hear those stories. I get the pleasure of getting to to sit down, and either on Zoom or in person or whatever, and I get to hear a lot of those stories from you all. And I just wish that, that even in your families, you would tell them a lot. You know, kids, as you go home today, ask your parents, like, hey, Pastor Rick was talking about these astonishing stories. What do, what do you have to share? You know, or maybe in your life groups, um, go ahead and, and ask each other. Life group leaders, be thinking, you know, who, who are some folks who could tell some great stories of astonishment? Because it builds up our faith. It turns our eyes upon the power and the love of Jesus Christ. The grace of God we see uh, in these astonishing stories. So maybe you're here today and and you want to hear from God anew. You want to hear from him anew. Well, I've got good news for you. He does see you. Even now, no matter where you are, here in this room or somewhere else. In fact, I just learned yesterday that there's a gentleman who's been watching our our church services on death row. He's actually been, been participating in these services And so it doesn't matter if you're in a small town in the middle of Galilee or in Kansas or sitting in in your living room or sitting in prison right now. God wants to be with you. He wants to reveal himself to you through his word, through his people, through prayer. He wants to reveal himself and astonish you. God can enter your space and he can speak words of cleansing to you. And he can heal our souls. He is the true authority who astonishes us with his love. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Holy One of Israel, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are Christ, the victorious one, who conquers sin, darkness, and the devil. Lord, please forgive us when we turn our eyes away from you when we, we give our attention to, to scribes and, and others who claim to be authorities but who are, who are completely disconnected from you and your word. Lord, forgive us when we turn to, to hollow voices and vain hope. But Jesus, by the power of your cross and by the gift of your Holy Spirit, help us to fix our gaze upon you. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray these things, Jesus, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.